staring out the window at a mountain range Speeding down the track on a one-way train Cop at my side, they say tomorrow I'll hang Longing for my freedom like a dog gone a chain Never found no comfort in Caroline Got sweet Mary on my mind Don't you cry for me Just lay me down where the river meets the sea Lay me down, girl Robbed a bank in Baltimore and River City too Got lucky in Kentucky, yeah, you know how I do Posse caught up with me down in Tennessee They said, come out with your hands up I said, hold on, let me uh, finish my tea Ran to the bed, grabbed my boots and my gun Hop from the window and away I run Ran for the station and almost made it too Sometimes you make plans and life has other plans for you Ain't that true? If I had a boy, you know I'd tell him, son Don't be like me, don't live by the gun You think a man's free Just cause you've seen him wrong Well, that man ain't free He's just a man without a home well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me, and we are listening to the song The Outlaw from the 2015 CD titled Josh Gray. The one and the only Josh Gray. Those of you who live in and around the Frederick, Maryland area who used to frequent the Frederick Coffee Company Open Mic Series, you'll remember Josh as a highlight. I remember the day he sang his first song and quieted the room in about a millionth of a second. And we are so happy that this former president, Frederick resident, who now lives in Nashville, is on the phone with me right now. Josh, how are you, sir? Hey, doing great. Great to talk to you, Todd. Oh, you as well, Josh. And that was a great song. That was the lead-off song from your 2015 CD, The Outlaw. Well, the, song, the CD was Josh Gray. The, um, and that was, what, seven songs, six songs, I think? Uh, six songs, I think five songs on a cover. Yeah, the the cover was yep. Punk Rock Girl, which I listened to the original version de- done by the Dead Milkmen, and your mm-hmm. version, in my estimation, was much better. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm friends with those guys. I'm uh, I'm partial to to both versions. Um, they listened to my version of it and and uh, and loved it, but they laughed. They said I took all the all the punk out of it, which I can't <laughs> argue. I can't argue with that. But um, 
but uh yeah i think you know it's it's interesting listening back to the, the outlaw um i think that was probably the first song i ever played at the at the open mic when that, i started that's what i was remembering that's why i wanted to play it for the podcast and i do mm-hmm. remember watching you for many months and you and your friend brian would sit generally you were together you would sit and listen and watch at the open mic and just sit there and you had either a notebook i think it was a notebook and you would, mm-hmm. you'd look and you'd watch the person and you'd scribble for a while and then you'd look up and i'd be up there in the front looking at the audience thinking i wonder if he's writing lyrics or he's critiquing the person what were you doing when you were writing <laughs> uh just constantly writing lyrics um kind of the same thing i do now which is i think what every songwriter does just kind of observing and whether you are something comes to you in daily life or you're watching a movie or, or listening to someone else talk, um, you know, you come across a word and, and you say, you know, this, you come across things pop in your head that are, that are interesting to you and you just write them down. You don't know when you're going to use them later. Um, some of that writing was probably developing songs. Some of it was just kind of, um, developing a, a portfolio of, of words or phrases to use later. Now, how many of those notebooks do you have with lyrics or thoughts and things like that? Uh, probably 10 or 12. Do you really? Now, how do you periodically go back and just kind of flip through and try to see what's in there and see if anything hits a, hits a spark? Yeah, there's stuff, um, even in this album, this last album that I released in 2019, there's stuff... Um, one of those songs has a has a chorus that is like seven years old. Um, you know, occasionally you write something and you say, this is really good, but I don't have um, a good enough song to justify putting it into. Like you, when you, when you write something that you feel is really good, you don't want to waste it on a, you know, on, on a song that's not deserving of it. So you kind of hang on to it. Um, so I've done a lot of that. I've got a lot of, a lot of those notebooks, and I've got a lot of um, crappy cell phone recordings um, that I go through occasionally. Now, how do you determine from the, the songs that you write or the lyrics that you write and maybe those recordings, how do you go about determining that it's worthwhile to finish the song and maybe record it at some point? Um, that's a tough question. Um it just has to feel right. It's hard to describe. Um, yeah, you just, you, you spend, I spend a lot of time with songs, with my songs and I don't, I've never written a song in a day. Um, I just don't write that way. It usually takes me at least months to write a song. Um, a lot of what I do is, I don't write the typical way, which I think is to a, a lot of songwriting classes and songwriting teachers that I've, that I've heard talk say, who cares if it's good initially, it's not going to be good initially, get it all down on the page, make sure you finish it and then go back down and, and chisel it down and, and, um, and work on it that way. And I, and I believe in that. Um, to some extent, but that's not the way I typically work. The way I usually work is I will 
come up with one good verse and and I'll say this is really good, but I don't know where to go with this. And um then six months later I'll write another verse. Not even intending for it to be the second verse of that song. It's just And then a I'll verse. be flipping it's just a verse or just a line and I'll be flipping through these um pages of things that I've written and I find that my mind keeps going back to the same places and I don't even realize it. So I'm in a fragmented way, I'm writing a song across multiple pages and then I kind of piece it together like a puzzle because I find that, Oh, these things, I was thinking the same things at these different times. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough for me to just kind of sit down and just, just write a song. I, I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm better at just kind of, Oh, this good this good line popped into my head, so I'll write that down. Or this good verse. I don't try to try to force it, but I do try to spend time with the guitar and and, and spend time writing. Now, when you're writing lyrics, I know when you may be at the office or like you used to do at the coffee counter, you'd see something or whatever, you jot something down. But when you're actually writing that verse or the second verse, do you have the guitar in your hands at that point or not? Yeah, I always have the guitar. So um, the other thing that I that I didn't mention, yeah, I, I'm always um, like, say I write that first verse. What I will do is I will I will sing that verse over and over. Um, and sometimes it takes months. And um, because usually I'm working on, you know, at least three or four songs at a, at a time. Um, so I will just spend some time with this part of a song and then I'll move on to this other part of a song. Um, but I will just repeat it over and over. And, um, and uh, that's, that's where some of the polishing of the song comes for me. A lot of the polishing, there's, there's usually minimal polishing to be done at the end of it being all written because it takes me so long. Um, the process to even get it finished. So I will, I will sing a verse over and over. Um, and then I'll sometimes just kind of freestyle things onto the end of it. Um, sometimes it's not even words. Sometimes it is just, um, I want syllables to be in this order. I want it to be this type of delivery. So that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and then eventually the words will come and I'll, and I'll add lines by line, line by line. Sometimes a, a whole new verse will come in one day, a whole second verse. Um, sometimes it'll be a single line, but, uh, yeah, I, I just sing it over and over. And then I get the, uh, because I've sing it over and over, I'm doing two things. I'm, I'm, memorizing the song really well and I am um getting getting the syllable syllables are super important to me um getting that right getting the delivery right this has too many syllables here I have to think of a different way to say this I have to whittle this down um this doesn't have enough syllables I took out this so now I have to I took out one syllable here to streamline the beginning of this line and now I have to add 
it doesn't flow right anymore. So I have to add two syllables on the end of it. So little, little things like that. Now, is rhyming important to you? Rhyming is important to me. Um, I, I like artists who can rhyme, um, in uncon rhyme uh, phrases that are not typically used rhyme rhyme words that are not commonly used um I, I when i'm writing i don't really know which way i'm going to go because i because i like artists I, I like the folk tradition of making songs very accessible um and not using fancy words but then occasionally i like fancy words um if it works but it can't feel forced um but for the most part the trick is trying to stay profound or semi semi-profound things with simple language mm -hmm. which i think is the real challenge now is it important to you that each song tells a story or not necessarily do they sort of when you finish them they've told a story but you didn't really set out to tell a story um well i have songs that are that are straight up story songs like in my first album um ballad of brady and in this more recent album um two hearts um so those are those are more like narratives um they're short stories, but uh, but I do think it's important for a song to be cohesive, to say something, um, at least have all the parts of it flow together, mesh together in, in what they're trying to say. Um, sometimes through a sometimes through a metaphor not always completely straightforward, but, um, they mean things to me. Um, but I don't think it, any of my songs are like too out there. I think everybody gets my songs. Um, and that's the intention, uh, whether it's an actual story or whether it's just talking about being on the road or, or something like that. Well, you do, and not necessarily in every song, but quite often I'll be listening along and all of a sudden you throw in a line like the, in the outlaw where you're telling the, the, the police, to, you know, hold off while I finish my tea. Mm -hmm. Now, was that something that was just kind of, you were just kind of free forming right along and oh, that sounds kind of cool. Or was it something where I need to throw some humor in here somewhere? The, that comes from, um, that comes from multiple sources. So that comes from, uh, a lot of the music I was listening to and still listen to, um, but a lot of the, a lot of the music I was listening to at that time when I was writing that was old blues music from the twenties. Um, and then I was also watching. I've always liked like old westerns, so I really appreciate the um, the cockiness of those western characters, mm -hmm. and also the cockiness of of old blues musicians. Um, for the past. So that's kind of where that came from. Um, and, uh, and then I don't drink. So that's why, that's why I threw, you know, I've had people over the years say to me, hey, you should have, you know, this, that song's great, but you should have thrown like an, uh, some kind of alcohol in there or something like, like whiskey or something like that. 
And I'm like, I don't drink. So I wanted to kind of, you know, I wanted the character to kind of be me a little bit in there. So, so, uh, so your tea uh, is like the sarsaparilla that most of the cowboys would order. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. But it's definitely, it's definitely just like a cocky line. Like, you know, let me finish, let me finish what I'm doing, you know, screw you guys. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can wait on me. Now in the, now when did you start writing songs? Um, I would say, you know, I'm, when I, when it came to guitar, I just kind of wanted to learn on my own. Um, so I'm kind of self-taught. So it just took, I, I never had the intention to, to be a songwriter or to really write songs. Um, I just spent a lot of time with guitar alone, just in the beginning playing single string stuff, you know, starting there and then learning some basic chords. Um, so probably around, I, I got a, I got my guitar when I was like 16, I got a guitar. So, um, I started right around then I was kind of just playing for myself and then I would show some songs to, uh, to friends or girlfriends and, um, and, uh, I, I didn't feel they were good enough. Um, I was living in Montgomery County, Maryland, and there's, there was pretty much no open mic scene at the time. Um, so yeah, I was just keeping to myself. I didn't feel they were good enough. Um, even when they were good enough, I never knew that I would, they, I would feel that they were good enough, but eventually I got to that point. But even at that point, I don't think the intention was to really go out and play them. Um, my friend, Brian, who you mentioned, um, dared me <laughs> to get up and play at the open mic. He was talking about, um, you know, a coffee co they, uh, display local artists art on the walls and uh photographers as well so he he had some photos that he wanted to get up on the walls and i said you know if you can get your photos up on the walls then i'll go up and play the open mic um so so he did that and, and then i had to go up and do it so it was kind of a challenge but it, but the feeling that my songs were good enough um starting with the outlaw um just kind of happened to coincide with that moment when that that dare happened so it worked out. Now, did it help when the crowd reacted positively to your songs to justify, in other words, to say, well, I guess they really are pretty good? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think so. But at the same time, I know people are nice and they clap at everybody's performances. <laughs> But, um, but when the room goes quiet, that's a big sign. Yeah, it was, I think, I think that first time I played, um, I slightly annoyed you because, um, I was obviously nervous. It was my first time playing and I, um, didn't, I don't think that I even signed up. I think it was last minute and I came up to you I'm like hey can I play a song which is not the way to do it no but but, the, uh, but that would not have annoyed me unless I had a long <laughs> waiting list <laughs> I think it was like 
luckily an, an early night that night or something, but, uh, but you fit me in. Um, so yeah, it was definitely, it was a great response, but one thing I did, um, even though I think I did it only like the day before I recorded myself in my apartment playing that song and I put it on YouTube. Ah. Um, yeah. And that was like the day before that was kind of how I worked my, my way up to playing live. I said, playing in front of 30 people in a room is scary, but if I can, not that millions of people are going to watch it, but if I can put this online and potentially millions of people could see it, then, then I can play in a room of 30 people. Well, how many people have watched that YouTube video? Oh, I don't even know at this point. Um, I think I, I think I have it hidden. Uh -huh. I still have it online on my YouTube, but I, I have it hidden at this point. Um, it was kind of a blast from the past to, to hear that, uh, that song, um, at the beginning of this, this podcast, because, um, I was saying that doesn't sound as bad as I, as I remembered it. Um, no, it's, I kind it's of an play, ex excellent song. I appreciate it. I, I, I just play the song slightly differently now. I play it in kind of like there's pauses in it now and, and I play it with the band and kind of like a rockabilly style. So it's a little bit different, but, um, it's still good. It's interesting hearing it that way. Well, let's go back in time. Did you grow up in a musical family? Um, not a musical family. My mom, um, played a little bit of piano when, when I was growing up and I would, you know, just sing with her just as a little kid, you know, five years old, four years old. Um, and, uh, my brother is a drummer out in, uh, out in California. So two musicians came out of the family, but uh, my parents, neither of them are really musical. Did they listen to a lot of music? Yeah. Um, a lot of, uh, they, they had a good, they had a good record collection. Um, me and my brother went back and pilfered a lot of, a lot of that stuff. Um, over the years, um, you know, Rolling Stones and uh, Janis Joplin and Paul Simon and all kinds of stuff. Now, is your brother, being a drummer, I would assume he's more either jazz, blues, or rock? Yeah, he is a um, professionally trained um, jazz drummer. Oh, wow. Which is very difficult. Yeah, yeah he, went to, he went to the new school up in, uh, in New York. Um, and, uh, now he's out in the, uh, near, near Santa Cruz, which is being affected by the, uh, the fires. My parents are out in, um, they're out further up near Sacramento. So, um, my brother and his, his wife actually just had to evacuate their home oh, due to the fires and, and go up and stay with my parents. So kind of crazy. Now, how did you get to the point where I think you said you were 15 or 16 where you, when mm -hmm. you got your first guitar, what led you to get a guitar? Um, I think in high school, in high school, I was listening to a lot of, um, punk music, which is a very DIY kind of scene. And, um, People were, I was listening to songs where people were, you know, speaking out about different things and being the average um, angsty teenager and wanting to 
you know, put my voice out there. I said, you know, I can write songs. I could do this. So, um, so I got a, got a guitar, um, asked for a guitar, I think for Christmas and got it. And, um, but you know, it took me a lot longer. It would have, would have, uh, I, you know, I'm stubborn about certain things. So, um, and the guitar was one of them. And, uh, if I would have been writing things a lot sooner, um, had I gone to lessons and played a bunch of cover songs and, and gone through that. But, you know, I was in high school and, uh, I already didn't want to be going to school and I didn't want my fun hobby to feel like school. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just wanted to do it, to do it on my own, which took, took longer, but I think his helped me develop somewhat of a unique style of, of guitar playing, kind of like a percussive style in some of my songs. Um, and it also just feels more rewarding in a way, even though it takes me so much longer, has, has taken me so much longer to learn things. Um, it's like you stumble across playing something. And uh, wh- whether you take lessons or not, with with any instrument, you you start messing around with it, you you attempt something, and you're like, oh, I can't play that now. And then you, uh, to to me, I liken it to the um, to the uh, it's like Karate Kid, mm-hmm. right? So like you know, wax on, wax off. You you're practicing something, but you don't really realize what you're practicing, right? So you're messing around on the guitar and then one day you go back to that thing that you couldn't do two months ago and then suddenly you can do it and you're great. Um, so that has always been uh, fun for me with guitar, just stumbling across things and be like, oh, I can do this. This is awesome. And that's kind of what happened with The Outlaw. Um, it's not definitely like a bluegrass style, but there's some bluegrass influence in there and there's it's like a bluegrassy folk kind of thing. Um, and, uh, right around that time that I wrote that, that's just when I discovered that I could even play that way. Um, I'd never played that way before, but it's definitely music that I've been listening to. You know, I was listening to old blues and I was listening to Doc Watson and stuff like that. So it just kind of seeped into my mind. Now you play a Martin guitar, or at least you did the last time I saw you. What was the first guitar, the one you got uh, for the holidays? Uh, the, the first guitar I got, so I asked for a, um, acoustic guitar, just any acoustic guitar. Cause I didn't really know anything about them. Um, and my parents of course got me a, uh, a classical guitar mm-hmm. cause they didn't, cause they didn't know anything about guitars. <laughs> so, um, so I had that for a while and I was messing around with that, with the nylon strings. And then I went to uh, guitar center, um, a couple of years later with my own money and, uh, and just bought a, uh, a Taylor acoustic, um, which, uh, I'm not crazy about Taylor's for my style. I think Taylor's are great for like finger, finger picking and, and stuff like that. But, um, I'm kind of heavy handed with the, uh, with the flat picking. Um, and, uh, and I like something that just is a bit bassier, which mm-hmm. is kind of why I go to the Martin. 
So, now, so yeah, you, I'm still playing, still playing the Martin D28. Now, do you have more than one guitar now, or is it just the the Martin? Uh, I have the, I have that old Taylor that I originally bought. I have the um, Martin. I have a little travel guitar, and then I have a um, Gibson SG electric. Okay. So, so not a ton of guitars. Um, I'm not really a collector. I just kind of use what I use. And, um, the same guitar I played on, um, my first EP is the same one I played on, on this newer album. Now, do you find that the guitar you reach for most of the time is the Taylor or excuse me, is the Martin? Yeah, I do everything on the Martin. Yeah. I think the Taylor, um, not because it's a bad guitar, but it's a cheaper, you know, every, every guitar company makes cheaper models. And, and, um, so it's a cheaper model and, um, and also, like I said, the way I was playing, it was not kind of the way that guitar is really intended. So I think it held me back a little bit. I think I thought I was not as good as, as I was, um, because of the sound I was getting out of the guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of, I, I had the Taylor and the Martin at the same time. And, um, I was still just writing songs and practicing on the Taylor. Cause I was like, this is going to be my practice guitar. That's going to be my, um, performance guitar. And, um, things just didn't sound great. I was like, this song just doesn't sound that great. And then I just like one day tried one of those, one of those beginning songs on the Martin. I was like, okay, this is going to be my practice and performance guitar. Sounds so much better. Now, what do you use for guitar strings? Um, strings. I switch between, um, the Adario and Elixir. For any any reason, do you switch from one to the other? Um, just kind of. My preference is Elixir. Um, I know you've done all kinds of uh, tests uh, with guitar strings, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, I don't know. For me, with my particular guitar, I just feel like they they give me a bit more sustain. Well, they also last but, longer, too, which is nice. Yeah, the coating, they last longer. Um, but when I'm playing a lot of shows, I try not to go more than a, a couple months at most without switching stuff out. And also, I'm you know writing and, and practicing on, on them as well. Um, but the Diodarios, they're so much cheaper. As yes, well. they are, and, and they're they're not that different from from the sound of Elixir. Um, it also depends on on what your situation is when you're buying them. Um, I've been in in a small town where there's only one guitar store, music store, and, uh, and they charge you ridiculous amounts for strings mm-hmm. and then i've i've bought you know 
six packs of strings on online for for cheap amounts. So it depends on, on prices and things. But I think you can get a good sound out of, out of there's a, there's a bunch of different good brands. I've tried a bunch of brands. Now, do you play uh, a medium gauge thirteen to fifty six or the the twelve to fifty three, the what I call light gauge? I um, will play depending on the brand. I guess there's you know they have all these different. They do. They make it a little confusing. Things, things they call them. Yeah, I will play um, like medium or light medium. Um, let me see. I have a pack of these. The Adarios right here. These are the coated phosphor bronze EXP 16. Um, yeah, 12 to 53. Yeah. That's probably the most popular because Mm -hmm. you can get good thump out of them, but they're, they're a little bit easier to play, especially at pitch concert pitch. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to use the, or I use the medium gauge, the uh, 13 to 56, but I tune down to a D. I turn a, tune a full step down. So the light, lighter gauge strings get a little floppy on me. Right, right. Now that brings a question yeah. up. Do you tune to concert pitch or do you fool around with tunings? I haven't really messed around with tunings um, too much. I mean, I did when I was younger a little bit and more on the uh, messing around with the electric guitar more. But, um, but yeah, I've just kind of stuck to, I don't, I don't fool myself and, and pretend that I know a lot about guitar. Um, the guitar for me is kind of the canvas and the main thing for me is, is the lyrics, Mm -hmm. um, which is why I'm, you're not going to hear, um, jazz chords Mm -hmm. coming from me, even though I appreciate all these different beautiful chords that people play. Um, but, uh, for me, it's kind of like the cowboy chords. Well, and your, your style, even with the band, it wouldn't quite fit. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. you might be able to do one just to kind of as a novelty song, but you're absolutely right. Your style, jazz chords don't necessarily fit. I was thinking about it today. I think I really, you know, a musical instrument is like a language. You know, the more, the more, um, chords and, uh, harmonics and things you can do on a guitar, you know, the more words you have at your disposal. Um, but the music that I really, a lot of the music I really love, like old blues from the twenties. I mean, I really appreciate the, the minimalism and, um, just playing, the emotion you can get from just playing a single note and just like slowly bending that, you know, just very, very simple movements. Um, and even in playing simple things on guitar, there's so much variation depending on the player, depending on how hard they press on the strings, um, the placement of their fingers, in relation to the edges of the fret. Um, just, uh, yeah, there's some, no, nobody plays. It's like, it's like a fingerprint. I mean, nobody, nobody plays the same way. So it's interesting to me. So I, I will probably learn some more chords at some point 
I've been saying that for years, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really feel like in these, in these basic chords that I know there's enough for a lifetime of music. Well, I, it forces me to, it forces me to get creative. Yes. So, um, it's like, it's like the painting class and they only give out five colors of paint. Mm -hmm. One is black and one is white. And then there's three colors. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the class, when everyone's painted, you're going to have, if there are 10 students in the class, you're going to have 10 distinctly different pieces of artwork, but they all use the same colors. Yeah, yeah. I think with music and with any art form, I think sometimes when people know too much, they do too much. Mm -hmm. And... um I don't know that I would be that way, but, but I've, I've noticed that I'm not trying to become a, um, an amazing, uh, guitar player, you know, doing, doing these amazing solos. I have a guitarist, um, who is our, our lead guitarist in our band who can do that stuff. And, and even when I'm working with another guitarist, I'm still, I still come up with melodies in my head that maybe I don't have the skills to play, but I can relay to them and, and, and help them build solos. So anytime a song with a band comes out that I'm, that I'm in, I usually have some part in every part, every instrument. Well, that brings up a, a question I've had. What led you to go from a solo performer to having a band? I think I've always wanted a band, um, even back in high school. Um, I tried to start bands, and uh, people were too flaky and mm -hmm. not willing to put the work in and just wanted to not practice and go play shows and sound crappy in front of people. And that was the exact opposite of, you can tell from my story, what I wanted to do after taking so much time to, to play live. Um so I, uh, I came down here to Nashville and I decided to, um, to try and seek out those musicians because I think some of the best musicians in the world come down here. And um, I met some great people. I went through a bunch of people. Um, these are definitely not the, all the original people that I met. But uh, until... Um, until I, until I found the right people. Um, when you're putting together a band, it's kind of, you want to find a balance between talented musicians as well as um, people who are friends who are good to hang out with. Um, and I met a lot of people who just wanted to keep it kind of strictly business and just kind of like, um, you know, not even really hang out with the band or not even really uh, not develop songs together with the band. Just kind of wanted to come up with their own part and just put it into the song. And I'm well, not really about that. Yeah, when you have a bunch of individuals who are strictly individuals, you, you lose some of the soul of the song, maybe. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And there's a lot of that going on in Nashville. Um, there's a lot of 
lot of hired guns, but I feel like I really have a band. And um, the discussion with me and other band members early on has always been what serves the song. Um, so, you know, even though I'm not playing many things solo anymore, um, it's always about what serves the song. Everybody in the band wants to play on every song, but everybody is at the same time willing to sit a song out if it's the right thing to do. Um, so we have a song like, you know, Darkest Before the Dawn, which is just me and um, a string quartet. So the rest of the band sat out that song. Uh, we have another band, another song, Ease Your Pain, which um, was just me and my bass player and our fiddle player and drummer and guitarist sat that out. So it, it's we're still trying to serve the song. We're not trying to force anything into a mold, regardless of how many players we have. Now, do you have a band's name, or do you strictly go by Josh Gray? Uh, it's Josh Gray and the Dark Features. Are you the sole songwriter? I am the sole songwriter, yep. Now, have they anybody in the band been able to collaborate a little bit or throw their two cents worth in that's helped you along, or they have no interest in that? Or you have no interest uh, in that? You mean as far as songwriting? Yes. Um, as far as songwriting, no, they, they are primarily interested in, in just being musicians. Okay. Um, they have not, uh, none of them are on the side kind of work on their own thing. I've have had people in the band in the past who, who have done that and that was fine. Um, but yeah, it's always been me just writing the songs, I will show them snippets of a new song and we can kind of play around with it a little bit. Um, they, I, I always come to them with the melody already figured out. Um, but I'm also open to um, arrangements, changing the arrangement, um, putting a pause here to make this more dramatic. Um, you know, dropping out the guitar here or dropping out the fiddle here or just going to guitar and fiddle in this part. Um, so they will help me with uh, with that kind of thing. But um, pretty much I'll, I'll almost always come to them with a completely finished song. Well, from an arrangement... I don't... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't like to get people's hopes up um, with songs, with my songs, because... Um, and when I say people, I, I mean people in my band, because like I was saying earlier, the way I write, um, I'll have a verse or two verses and it'll sound great, but I don't know when I'm going to finish that song or if that song will ever get finished. So I don't want to bring it to them and they come up with all this, this whole arrangement and they love the song. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't want to stick a crappy third verse in here just to just so we can have a song mm -hmm. you know um so i try to bring them only finished stuff for the most part unless i'm really excited about something and then i will uh, just show them a little snippet of it well how many songs do you have that you can perform now um Probably about 
probably about 20, a little bit over 20. Mm -hmm. So what's the average set length for you when you go out to perform? How, how the, average set is, the average set is 12 songs, one hour. Okay. Is that because yeah. the venues you perform at, that's all you really have allotted to you, or that's just the way you've set it up? Um, that's usually what I have allotted to me because I am usually booking with other friends. Okay. Um, so a lot of times it'll be a two hour show, um, where I'll do an, I'll do an hour and then they will do an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's, it's three or four people. Um, but I'm working my way up uh, to, to two hours. I'd be happy at doing two hours and just doing those shows on my own um, or with the band. Um, I I had an aversion to to cover songs for a long time, um, but you know I've come around to it. I just don't want to, and and I'm fine with filling out a set with cover songs. Um, I just want to do them for a reason mm -hmm. uh, other than just filling out the set. Um, they have to mean something to you. It has to mean something to me. And also I have to, I, I want to have some cool arrangement to it. That's different from the original, uh, but still sounds good. Like I feel like I did with, with punk rock girl. Um, and then more recently with the band, we did um, a version of heart of gold. Mm -hmm. which we which we changed um, and made it into more of a a rock song. So uh, so I like to do that with songs. There's definitely songs on my list. I actually have a list of of some songs that um I'd like to cover, but I, I have to f figure out a way to to do them in my own way. Now, has the transition to Nashville from the Frederick area and growing up in the whole you know DC general DC area? Was it a difficult transition musically for you? Um, no, it wasn't. I mean, there's to the Nashville area, there's probably a hundred, 150 people moving a day. I, you know, not now during the pandemic, but before the pandemic, there was hundred to 150 a day. Um, so moving down here, I found another great open mic. Um, at a place called Cafe Coco. And um, it was a cool little little venue that was 24-7. So it was really? kind of like a college hangout. Yeah. And um, and once a week they would have the uh, writer's night. And um, it was different because it's Nashville and because so many people want to play, you know. You had to be there by a certain time, a line would form, um, and you only get, uh, I think it was one song. Yeah. You only get one song. Um, but you know, if you, if you mess up, you can, you know, start over, but, uh, but there's such a variety of music. I mean, you have people playing reggae, you had people playing folk, you had people playing rock, um, and they were very accommodating and the crowd was very kind, even though it was, um, it was well run. So even though it was all younger people, you know, there was an emphasis on everyone 
being quiet and just paying attention and applauding afterwards and supporting each other. So um, a lot of the friends here that I still play shows with out of town here um, were made uh, in that first year at that open mic. So, uh, you know, coming from one great open mic that you ran in, uh, in Frederick um, to, uh, to Nashville to find another good open mic, um, you know, it, it uh, kind of helped welcome me to the city. Well, so many people who have gone to Nashville and then returned because they either just didn't like the area or they didn't like the weather or whatever, or musically they didn't think they would be able to break in. Is mm -hmm. it difficult to find a venue to perform at? And I don't mean open mics. I mean to go out and do your hour show or whatever because there's so many musicians and the talent level is so high. Is it difficult? Uh, I think it's like anywhere else. I think a lot of people come down here with misconceptions, not just about Nashville, but about the music industry in general. Um, in any city, you have different tiers of venues, right? So you start out at the bottom and you work your way up to the middle and then, and then higher. So, um, you started at open mics, obviously, and then you, uh, you play, um, writer's rounds which are more common down here um if anyone's listening and doesn't know a writer's round is basically you're sitting on stage with other musicians three or four and you are trading off songs so one person person plays the song sometimes someone else on stage if they want um will accompany that person and uh then it'll go to the next person they'll they'll play a song and it works that way so i did that for a little while and then um i started going to venues in the cooler part of town, which is uh, East Nashville. And that's where all the real, you know, not newbie uh, songwriters are, are hanging out. And uh, the uh, smaller, cool neighborhood venue hangouts are. Um, places like uh, Five Spot and um, in, in Madison, which is right near... Nashville. Um, there's D's Country Cocktail Lounge, and uh, and little venues like that where uh, you go in, and there might be some huge name playing, or one day, or or a friend of yours might be playing the next day. You know, um, it's just a great going to shows. It, it, a huge part of music, regardless of where you live, is about networking. Right. So you can't just play your own shows um, and expect to get anywhere. You have to go to other people's shows and network with them and uh, find people whose um, music you not only enjoy, but their music would would uh, mesh well with yours in a show to put together something. Um, and that's just that's a, I think I think it works that way in every city. Now, what was the best show you got to take in? One that you were not performing? Uh, you mean in Nashville? Yeah, in the, in the general Nashville area. What were, you know, and it doesn't have to be just one. It could be a couple. But anything that stood out that wowed you, like you got through, thought, gosh, that was a well-worthwhile evening. I, I'm glad I didn't stay home and watch TV. 
Um, I don't have any specific um, big name artist shows that that really stand out to me that much. Not that I haven't seen them here in uh, in Nashville. Um, I just think some of the smaller, more intimate venues where I've gone and um, and the crowd was was singing along. Everyone was just having a great time. Um, there's a real, there's a real camaraderie um, in the music scene here. Once you break in, and it does, it does take two or three years, I think, to really start to find your people and find your place. But, um, but yeah, there's, you know. We, when I play shows in the city, um, I already know I'm not making any money that night. It's not happening. It's it's Nashville. Um, it's not like playing out of town. This is this is the difference with with playing in a in a music town, a music city, and and playing out of town. It's that. The st- I mean, the stereotype of Nashville is true in that everyone plays music, and because everyone plays music, nobody gives, nobody cares that you can that you play music. Mm-hmm. Um, so people care, but they don't. You know, it's not impressive to them. Whereas you may go to a small town and play, and they actually see it as as a talent. So I think to keep your morale up, you have to kind of leave the city every once in a while. But uh, but uh, just just to uh, to play shows in Nashville um, with friends, we just have fun with it, and um, you know, we'll get on the mic and we'll make fun of our friends and talk crap to each other, and and uh, you know, one time my friend Jason booked booked me for a show. He booked a bunch of people for a show. Um, it was like five people, and. Uh, it was a late evening show and didn't tell us what time we'd all be going on. And I have my band out with me and we end up playing like super late. And, uh, I think it was after, it was after midnight. And, um, so I gave him a lot of crap for that on the mic. I just said, <laughs> I just said, you know, um, <laughs> I was just making, making fun of him a lot. And I said, uh, you know, Sorry for uh, sorry for making fun of uh, fun of you so much. I haven't had my breakfast yet. And <laughs> stuff like that, you know. <laughs> just, uh, just things like that. But yeah, we just have fun with it in Nashville. It's a good way to um, to test uh, test songs. That's really what it's about: is um, testing out new songs and sharing music and um, and going to shows and and um, being inspired. I think as a musician, I think every musician feels this, that you, you go to a show and no matter how good of a time you're having at this show, you can't wait to get back home and pick up your instrument. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, because when you're, when you, whether it's a great show or not, you just kind of, you usually take something away from it and, uh, and you want to try something 
Um, so I think that's the best thing to, for, I mean, obviously we can't do that now with the pandemic, but, uh, to, uh, I was going to say, if you haven't felt like picking up the guitar in a long time, then go to a show. Not that really people can do that now. Well, you're a father now and you yep. have, you have a band and you're still working full time. I'm assuming. I was, my position was just eliminated. Oh gosh. After over 12 years. So, so you're a full time musician. Out. I'm a full time. Yeah. Officially now. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you, when you were, were still working mm -hmm. and being a dad, was it difficult to find music time or more difficult than previously? Difficult to find um, because we're in apartments and the apartments are kind of laid out like um, townhouses. Mm -hmm. And um, the layout is really weird. And there's pretty much no privacy. And uh, so because of that, really tough to find time and space to write music. But as far as um, playing with the band, I was still doing that on a regular basis um, every week, uh, just going to a bandmate's house and, and trying out songs and playing. So, so when, once the, and you mentioned to me before we actually uh, started the podcast that uh, during the pandemic, you kind of got away from music for a while. Was mm -hmm. that just because you knew there were no venues out there that you could go to it, or just, it just changed your mindset enough that it just wasn't as important for a while. Uh, I think it was a couple things. I think it was kind of burned out a little bit with music and I get that way. I will always come back to music, but I think when you write an album um, and you put your all into it, you're kind of burned out. Um, as far as, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting alone in my apartment and I'm trying to come up with, with something to write, um, if I've just finished an album and put everything into it, then I don't really have any, I've said everything I want to say in that album. So mm -hmm. I don't really have anything. So I just kind of, um, go through phases like that. I, you know, after I write something like that, I have to, I have some living to do, mm -hmm. um, before I, uh, get back to it so but yeah a big part of it was just um another big part of it was just adjusting to the transition of um you know my daughter not being in daycare and uh being with her all the time and just kind of dedicating time to the to the family and and that and also um i've been setting up a a home um kind of recording Oh. studio area so i've got all that kind of kind of set up i've got my audio interface and my microphones and my pc and and all that stuff so um you know teaching myself five or six different programs at once video editing and um mixing and um i'm going to be doing some streaming here pretty soon oh well, good um so I've been I've been putting all that together. I never really had an interest in getting into the audio recording. I always wanted to kind of leave that to professionals. Um, nothing worse than 
you know, spending spending a year writing a song only to screw it up in a recording. But uh, you know, I, I'm I'm starting to collaborate with the band again. We've always been in touch, but I'm starting to collaborate with the band again as far as um, just remotely. Um, us each recording our parts and recording video and kind of splicing it together. Mm-hmm. So we're going we're gonna to start doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously I'm not going to like, you know, record an album myself. I'm, I'm still going to wait until this whole thing is over and, and then go back into a studio. Now, how do you determine when it's time to go into the studio and record to come up with an album? I think the standard is for me is 10 songs, mm-hmm. at least 10 songs. I feel like 12 is, I don't know, a little too much. Um, but I think the main thing is, is 10 songs that I feel are good. Yeah. 10, 10 songs where none of them, none of them really sound the same. Um, and, um, where there's some not not totally like a theme to the album but uh maybe a loose theme a loose theme to the album at least but the main thing is is the quality of the songs i don't um i was about to just sound like really cocky and be like i don't write bad songs but um <laughs> but what i was thinking when i when I, when I was about to say that was um I don't write songs that I feel are bad. And, and what I mean by that is I'm pretty good at, um, recognizing when I'm going down a path that is not going to lead to a good song mm-hmm. and, and, and ditching that from the beginning. I don't need to write an entire song and be like, this is crap. So for this last album I did, which was 10 songs I had, I went into the studio with 11 songs. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I went in with 20 or 30 songs. Um, so, so but yeah, the main thing is just 10 songs that I feel are good. And, and we spent months arranging, arranging these songs as well with the, with the band. So what happened to the 11th song? The 11th song is, um, a song that I think you've heard, uh, called Rosaries. Um, and it's a finger pick song. And what I was saying about songs not sounding the same, I have, I have another finger pick song on this uh, album, Songs of the Highway, um, called Easier Pain. And I kind of just didn't want two, um, two finger pick songs on mm-hmm. there. So it may make it onto, it may make it onto something, um, in the future. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good song. So you have the start of the next album. Yeah, yeah. This next album, I'm kind of ch- challenging myself to to not write about women, <laughs> and at least as much. Well, you have some in your life, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of. I'm, I'm, I uh, first of all, I feel pressure to to write a song for my daughter now. You know, that's expected, right? Well, um, yes and no. The uh... <sighs> She would probably love it if you if you could write a song that she could because she's what three now right a little over three. She is uh, she's a little over two. 
a little over two. I was trying to remember, yep. and Carol was going, I don't think she's three, Todd. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but she'll be able to sing in another year, year and a half, I mean, in a rudimentary sort of way. But it would be, yep. it would be fun for you to write a song that is very simple, that has kind of a catchy little tune that she could sing with you. That would be so much fun for the rest of us to hear. Because the Definitely. one, you know, the one thing that uh, I totally miss, because it's been, gosh, I, I'm, I think it's been, I think we're in our fourth year since the, the um, Frederick Coffee Company met its demise. Maybe it's just three. It seems like a lot longer. The one mm-hmm. thing I do miss, um, I don't really miss lugging the equipment and trying to, you know, watch the clock and make sure we can all be done by nine thirty. That type of stuff. That was a lot of work. But what I miss is seeing everyone on a regular basis because it had a, a family feel. Um, Definitely. You know, and it's, uh, you know, you took off and moved out of town. Some of the younger kids went away to college and ended up staying in that city or that area um, mm-hmm. or, or not doing music at all and got into their careers. And so there is a sense of loss. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast because, see, you were such a huge part of the Frederick Coffee Company's open mic series. You were one of the ones who graduated, uh, it's kind of the way I look at it, to, um, to, to better things. And we miss having you around. So. Yeah, I miss, I miss those days, you know, um, it definitely was a family feel that is, um, you know, there's a lot of open mics around the country, but those, those ones that have that family feel, um, and, uh, are, are very hard to, hard to come by. And I think to your credit, you know, you, you helped create that. You're a big part of that. Well, I was a part. That's all, you know, you guys you were, were a the, huge part of that. Well, <laughs> thank you. But the, uh, now I have a question for you. The, uh, the way we are going to finish this show is, is first, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. This has been wonderful to speak with you. As I mentioned, Carol and I both talk about you and mention you quite often saying, I wonder how he's doing. And I don't go on Facebook quite as much as I used to, so I don't see a lot of the postings and the way they've mm-hmm. structured it now. A lot of people who are friends of mine never show up, and I haven't figured out the way to make it so that they do show up. But the uh, I do want to thank you for being on the podcast. It's been wonderful catching up. And I Thanks have a, for having me. Oh, you're most Appreciate welcome. It. I do have a question for you because the song that I'm going to play to finish out the podcast, which unfortunately you will not hear on the phone because we will have ended the conversation. You'll hear it when you listen to the podcast. I have two songs from the, your album, Songs of the Highway. I have the title song, and I also have Take Her By the Hand. Which one would you like me to end the show with? Do you have a preference? Hmm. Let's see. Well, let's let's do take her by the hand. Let's go out on a on a poppier note. It's not my it's not my typical um you know song that I've written. It was kind of it was one of the tougher ones for us to to arrange um because it was kind of like no, that's too, that's too poppy that arrangement. Um so we you know, we were trying to we we're trying to figure it out, but I think we found a, a happy medium. It's kind of uh, Tom Petty-ish in a way. Um, it, it is, yep. And uh, and it has that that build that I'm really um, proud of. Um, so definitely, anyone who's listening, listen for that. And and when the organ comes back in, 
you know that's that's one of my favorite parts of the album <laughs> now if someone wants to listen to more and, and pick up some of your your cds both josh gray and songs from the highway how can, how can they do it uh at joshgraymusic.com okay yeah g-r-a-y very good well josh thank you again and continued good luck once this pandemic opens up and you can get back to performing out and best of luck to the family and to that cute little girl. The photos that we've seen, she's cute as a button. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. And, uh, you know, once all this craziness is over, we'll have to uh, bring her up and, and hang out. You know, that, or if you can't, maybe we can make it the trip down. That would be fun. Yeah, you're always welcome. We'll uh, we'll go around the city. I'll, I'll show you guys around. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks again, and uh, have a great evening. You too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was Josh Gray, an alumni of the Frederick Coffee Company Open Mic Series, and a, just a terrific person who makes some great music. In fact, we're going to end the show with that song from his Songs of the Highway CD called Take Her by the Hand. Like riding towards the sun, set in search of gold. Hearts been trampled, need a lifetime of dust. Foolish, I'm searching for a soul I can trust. Days spent dreading the night.
Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mob Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link with friends and family. It is wispymopmusic.podbean.com, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time.